right, let's go. Youth, you can go ahead and head on back. Have an awesome time. You're with Zach tonight. Have a blast. The rest of you guys, welcome to church. Glad you guys are here. I'm going to be doing some speaking tonight. Pastor Brian said, why don't you go ahead and take a night? So that's my privilege and my honor to say the least. So in spite of everything going on lately, if you guys have been watching, there's been some things happening in our world. It's getting a little crazy out there, right? Facebook theologians are coming out of the cracks, you know, all sorts of stuff's popping up. The, you know, the word of the, the word for October, the word for November, and there's just all sorts of prophesying, prophelying, all that good stuff. Right. Okay. So with that, there's this uh, revelation and this one Facebook theologian, we'll call him, shared this scripture that I have not seen in this light before. Apparently men are going to be raptured before women. Have you heard that before? You've heard this one before? Something about in Revelations 8.1, it's about 30 minutes before, I guess. It says, when the lamb broke the seventh seal of scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about a half an hour. Uh, Right? No tomatoes, please. No tomatoes, please. I was like, come on, dude. I had to use that one. You guys know it's okay to laugh in church, right? It's okay to have a good time with God, right? He gave you the sense of humor. You might as well use it. All right. So I've got some stuff to share with you guys tonight, and it's not so much down a a specific theme. You'll catch it. There's some themes in it, but it's like a multi-themed message. So track with me, but these are points that I gathered over the weekend trip that I just took. And uh, you guys, I don't know if any of you know who my daughter Morgan is. You guys know who she's usually about my height, tucked behind the double-decker keyboards back there, so you can't usually see her back there. She's going to beat me up for that one later. (laughs) But this is her senior year in high school, and with that comes all the usual stuff, you know, the pictures, trips, tests, college visits, all that kind of stuff. So we spent the end of the last weekend down at Rama taking tours of the campus. And uh, we lived down there for a short period, so Morgan had friends down there and was familiar with the area. And she kind of thought it was almost like an easy way out to go to this school. She's like, man, you know, it just seems too easy. And I said, well, why don't you just go down there and check it out for yourself? You know, mom and dad took you there the first time and there was a grace on that season for what we were doing there. But if it's for you, it's gonna be your grace for your season. So let's go check it out for yourself. So we went down there for her to check out the campus and you know, check out campus life. So you're allowed to experience a day in the life and all that. We went Friday night and then started Friday morning by sitting through classes and hearing the instructors speak. And what makes Rhema different is that it's not like most Bible schools and it's not like typical schools where you're sitting through scholastic studies but you're sent to intentionally study the things of the Spirit. It's a Bible school that trains you how to live and breathe and move with the Holy Spirit in and out, the, in and out of the Bible and be founded on the Word. It's, it's a very unique experience in and of itself. So with that, basically every class is subject to Holy Spirit leading and revelation directly coupled with like line upon line instruction and teaching. So it's at any moment you're going to get the mind bomb. Like, I've never seen that before. I mean, if I had a nickel for every time I walked out a first hour, like about three feet off the ground in the presence of God, I'm like, I had no idea. I, dude, I'm so stupid. I had no idea. It was like just every day is a mind bomb experience, right? So you're walking out with all this new revelation every day and not everybody get it. Not everybody there gets it. And that's the bummer. A lot of kids went there and they walked out exactly the way they went in. Two years later, I watched it happen with my own eyes. I'm watching people laid out on the floor experiencing God and they're walking out exactly the same way they came in two years and got nothing. I'm like, what is up with this? Just because you're here, just because you're there, does not mean you're going to absorb by osmosis what's being shared and poured out. You're not just going to suck it in because you happen to be sitting there. It takes an intentional and on-purpose attitude and mindset to be open to receive direction, correction, and inspiration every single time the word is shared. Same goes for church. 
doesn't have to be on a Bible campus for it to be the same. It's all about an open mindset. So all of that to say, we're sitting in the second class of the day, the instructor's speaking, and I'm, I'm back in my saddle. I've been here. I know what to expect. So like when I'm really intently listening to somebody speak, I'm in, I'm in here. Like I'm not even looking at the guy speaking. I got my hands down on the desk. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, where are we going? You know, like just checking. Where are we going? And it just started getting revelation left and right, like popcorn popping. So some things that I took away from this, this time in class, and it was a really cool class. It's Blood Covenant was the name of this class. And the first thing that I grabbed out of what he said was that God literally has every right to test us. Not so much a mind bomb, but a truth that's worth hearing. He has every right to test us. Just the same way your employer would test your skills when he hires you, right? I mean, we're going to do that. We're going to test your credibility and your capability. Same thing. And then next, that taking tests and giving up things in our lives for God is part of our growing and maturing in faith. Not another mind bomb, but still a very solid truth. Three, in the test of being asked to give up things, that is where God intends to give us the better things. I'm like, all right, so hit this first slide. Working with me here? All right. So this is the sermon title, The Blessing of a Lifetime. Hit that next one for me. God's ability to bless depends directly on our capacity to trust. He's poured it all out. He's set it all out, but his hands are tied by our ability, our capacity to receive and trust what he's asking us to do. So it's pretty simple. Like I said, it's, it's the way they say it. You've heard it, you know it, but when you hear it and you're hungry and you're ready to hear it, boom, oh my gosh, duh, yes. So God will never ask you to give something up to leave you empty-handed. Isn't it interesting that we tend to believe that whatever it is that we're holding on to is the better thing? Maybe it's the familiarity, maybe it's the comfort, whatever it is. We think that what we've got is the thing that's better. And what we're asked to exchange for, why is it such a struggle to believe that it could be better? There's just something about having to let go of something that puts you in that spot of all of a sudden recognizing what you have and how good it is. It changes your perspective on something. Have you ever noticed that the longer you have something, the less and less you appreciate it? Like some, some things it doesn't take long. I mean, watch your kids at Christmas. Yay! What, what else you got? You know what I mean? It's like, you beg for that for three months. You put pictures on my door. I was waking up to like papers under my pillow of what you wanted, and now that's all you want to do with it? It's like, come on, man. Ugh. So you get the new house, the new car, the new job, whatever. This is especially true when these blessings don't directly do something for you on a regular basis. If it's just a blessing that's just kind of sitting there, it's yours and it's a blessing, but it's not literally doing something for you repeatedly that you can see and, and take part of every day. So look at Jacob and Esau. This will back this up. This is Genesis uh, 25, uh, 29 through 34 in the message. Get my phone to stop acting up. You think by now I'd have this device figured out. It's still a new phone. Track with me, okay? All right, so it says, One day Jacob was cooking a stew, and Esau came in from the field starved. Esau said to Jacob, Give me some of that red stew. I am starved. And that's how he became called Edom, which means red. Jacob, make me a trade, my stew, for your rights as the firstborn. Esau's like, I'm starving. What good is a birthright to me if I'm dead? This blessing had been on him his whole life, but because it didn't immediately do something for him, he didn't have a tangible day-by-day -day reference to look at how good it is and what, what an amazing thing it is. He didn't think anything about it. He said, first swear to me, and he did. On oath, Esau traded away his rights as the firstborn. Jacob gave him the bread and the stew and the lentils. He ate, he drank, he got up and left. 
That's how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. Check that. Just like whatever, not a big deal. Esau had this blessing his entire life, and because he didn't see an immediate impact, he thought nothing of it. Also notice this. This exchange was not God asking Esau to trade. That's why the exchange cost him dearly and left him empty-handed. Like I said, God's never going to trade you something and ask you to exchange something and leave you empty-handed. He's not going to take from you to leave you with nothing. That's not who he is. That's not what he does. So hit this next slide for me. Beware of the temptation to give up God's blessing on your life for the blessing of a season. This is going to make more sense as I go. Just let that one sit for a second. So think of Elijah being fed by the brook, right? There's a seasonal blessing there. Go to the brook. I'm going to send ravens to feed you there. But there was a time when the ravens stopped feeding him. That was a seasonal blessing. God told him to go. God told him what to do. Gave him the directions, and the blessing lasted for a season. He could have stayed there, but he would have starved there. The blessings will stop. Seasonal blessings are just that. They're for a season. God will definitely ask you to give up some things in your life. Sometimes it's even a blessing that he specifically brought. And because he brought, because he brought it, it provides amazing results in your life. I mean, can you imagine literally a bird bringing you a steak every day? I, like, I have no idea what he ate by the brook, but I mean, dude's chilling, and here comes a bird, and he's like, here's your Big Mac. You know, like, I have no idea what he was bringing. But I mean, I can't imagine this day by day by day, this animal is bringing me my food. We take it, we take it so, I don't know if it's like a storybook, like a fable to us, but I mean, if you literally stop and think, look at the birds flying around the next time you see them tomorrow. Imagine one flying with something in his claws that makes absolutely no sense enough to feed a grown man for lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> and this is happening over and over and over again. I mean, yeah, man, these blessings are specific. And because it's been brought by God, it's amazing. And it brings these results in your life. But there are such things as seasonal blessings. That's where the challenge to believe that something better could be on the horizon comes into play. God is a specific destiny and call on your life and a long-term blessing that goes with it. So for clarification, you guys know me, I'm going to give you a definition. Take you, to, take you to school real quick. Go ahead and throw up the blessing definition for me real quick. Blessing, number one, and this is not exhaustive, but this is what I was able to pull just doing a really quick search. God's favor and protection. One's approval or support for a plan or an action. Something that brings well-being, a beneficial thing or circumstance. That can apply to a season and to your life. Don't be lulled into holding on to a seasonal blessing and favor that robs you of your long-term blessing and your ultimate calling. That's the problem that we seem to run into. That's, that's what I'm seeing as a big hiccup in our church today. Not this church, but the church as a whole. The church as a whole, we get the blessing, we trust God, we believe him for something, we put in the work, we put in the toil, and there's nothing like a reward at the end of your energy and your effort, and here's that reward and that blessing. And because it's from God, it's awesome, it's amazing. And we take it like that's the one and the only. And we hug it and we hold it. And God's like, let it go. Trust me, let it go. Let it go. How many of you wish you were still holding on to your first car? Some of you, maybe. There's some cool cars I got let go of. But I mean, for the most part, like you had to let go of the thing to get to the next level, right? I don't want my old beater back. I'm just saying. <laughs> so hit this next slide for me. And I know these are kind of long points. I couldn't find a quippy way to like give you the three R rhyming points, but I thought these were pretty good. 
your life calling, and notice the words that are accentuated, there's a reason. Your life calling and blessing is part of your entire being, even if you aren't aware of it. Down into every fiber and every cell of your body, your life calling is ingrained in you. God put it in you from your inception. He knew exactly who you were, what you were going to do, why you're here. Even if you don't know it, he knew it. And it's part of you. And it comes, it comes alive in people at their, in their youth. When they're young, the gift in you, the calling in you does things. It starts to kind of show its face from time to time. And you can recognize this. I mean, when you know how to look for it, I see it in our youth all the time. That's why I get so excited for them. I'm like, you have no idea what's in you, young man. Oh, wake up. I want to see it now, you know? (laughs) So look at Moses in his early life. Here's a good example of this. I want you to notice this too as we're talking about this. The blessing that God has on Israel, regardless of their situation, God does everything that he can to bless them in spite of their circumstances and hardship. So notice this as we're looking at Exodus 1, 6, and 7 in the NLT. It says, In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly, they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Verses 8 through 14 go on to say that it goes on, uh, the Pharaoh in Egypt grew afraid of how powerful and multiplying and fruitful the children of Israel were. He made them slaves, beat them down ruthlessly, beat them down to the point of being so weak that they just weren't even able to fight back out of sheer fear and terror of how well they were blessed, how much they were multiplying, and if they just mustered together in unity what they could do to him, if they realized who they were and what belonged to them. Church. You guys see what's happening today, right? You recognize what's going on? The devil's afraid. The church is growing. You go and look. I did just a quick search today. It's estimated, at, I want to say, 2.6 billion Christians on the planet right now. It's a pretty good chunk. Those are the ones they, they can identify. There's plenty more that can't come out and go, I believe. They don't want a bullet right here. You know what I mean? But they're out there. They're doing the work. Things are happening. The devil's afraid. And that's why you're seeing what you're seeing. He's trying to beat us down. He is trying to beat the church down. He's trying to beat your children down. He is trying to get you afraid, concerned, deterred, distracted, confused, hurt. Whatever he can do to get your mind off of who you are, the calling and the destiny on your life, he'll even take you and go, hey, look, look back here at this blessing God gave you back here. Even if you were blessed and you knew God, just stay back here. Here you're going to grow stagnant. You're going to die out. If I can keep you focusing back here, don't look at what's ahead. Don't look over here. Look over here. If that's the best he can do, he's got you stumped and he's got you stuck, right? So Moses is saved out of this, right? Pharaoh leads an order for all the newborn boys to be murdered, right? And Moses is saved out of this and placed in a position of high favor in the house of Pharaoh by who? God, right? This is a God blessing for a lifetime? For a season, correct? You would think, man, supernaturally saves this one baby boy, puts him back in the house. You guys know the story. But I mean, he ends up back in the house raised by his own mom. Only God can do these things. That's a God wow. That's a God marvel, right? So he ends up in this place. Exodus 2, 11 and 12. Fast forwards things a little bit. And this is in the NLT again. 11 says, many years later, we don't know how many, when Moses had grown up, notice this part, he went out. 
Uh, we're going to ask some questions on that here in a second. He went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions, he decided to go ahead and murder this guy <laughs> and buries his body in the sand. Think about this. What inspired him to stand up and fight when he saw a fellow Hebrew being abused? He's been raised in an Egyptian household, very well cared for, very well taken care of. By this point, maybe his mom told him stories. Who are you going to believe? The proof is in the pudding. He's living in Pharaoh's house. He's got the gold. He's got the stature. He's got the status. He's living a great life by all definitions for years. What makes him want to go check out on the raggedy Hebrews that have been taking care of his dirty laundry? Why does he want to go look at that? What inspires him one day to go, you know, I'm actually a Hebrew. I need to go see what they're doing. That God destiny, that God calling you, even when you don't know it, is pulling on you, is tugging on you. Inspiration came knocking from the Holy Spirit. Go out, go see what they're doing. So Moses was raised in this house by Pharaoh, had everything he could want, everything he could need. So it makes you wonder what inspired him to go visit his people, right? This Holy Spirit calling, pulling him, right? The calling on Moses rose out of him when he went to visit his people. The calling in you is going to rise up out of you when you start doing something. When he went, the calling pulled. When you sit and you ask and you get no response, God says to ask, and he's going to give you an answer, but we're waiting for the answer to drop on us. Sometimes the answer's out in the motion of moving towards something. It's not a blanket statement, but it's inspiration to think. If you're not getting an answer, you're not seeing things happen, you might need to get up and start moving your feet in a direction. I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. So Exodus 2, 13 through 15 says this. The next day, so this is the next day, right after he just murdered somebody. I'm guessing he's wondering why he felt like he was inspired to defend these people at this point. He's like, I just murdered one of my own Egyptian people to protect my real people, the Hebrews, and I'm not even sure what's going on in me right now. He's probably super confused. So he goes out to visit his people again. This thing is really stirring in him now. He sees two Hebrew men fighting why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, man, everybody knows what I did. Sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened and tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When, Midian arri when Moses arrives in Midian, he sits down beside a well. This ended the season of blessing in Egypt for Moses. Cut off. No more posh life, no more good status. You're on your own, dude. The calling rose up in him. I don't know what inspired him to kill, but if you look at what he's called to do, where he ended up in his life, there's a whole lot more Egyptians that died. There was something in him that knew that you're going to have to cut this affliction off to the point of death to get my people where they need to go. And that calling was stirring up in him just when he went out to go see what they were doing. So this ended that season of blessing. The blessing that God placed on him, mind you. The calling of God on him pulled a response from within him to defend and protect his people because it was ingrained in him from his inception. And the rest of this, this chapter shows God's favor on Moses in a new season. 
being in the right places at the right time to encounter God's impartation and provision. You read through the rest of that chapter, you'll see how he ends up in the right places, tending flocks, meeting people, encountering. It's amazing. It's just, it's all God. It's so God. And also this, this is the note to notice. Also at the end of Exodus chapter two, you will see the Israelites groaning under their heavy burden and their cries for help rose up to God who heard them and it caused God to remember his covenant with them. God knew it was time for extraction. Sometimes we need to go back to the thing we heard from God, speak it back out to him from a place of earnest and honest, heartfelt cry. We do it from up here a lot. We talk to God from head knowledge all the time. These people were crying out from everything they had within them. God, save us, help us, please. And they meant it. They didn't just want to get out of the the issue for a minute so they could go back into it. They're like, God, save us, please. I can't do it anymore. We can't do this anymore. They cried out for help. They didn't whimper out. They cried out and God heard them and he remembered his covenant with them. So in the middle of business as usual, the angel of the Lord appears to Moses in the form of a blazing fiery bush, right? It was intriguing enough that Moses turned away from what he was doing to seek the source of what was happening. The rest of Exodus 3 goes on into chapter 4 and lays out this entire plan for Moses. Everything he's supposed to do, all the directions to a T, say this exactly. When he does this, do this exactly. And when he says this, you say this. And when he does this, you do this. Has anybody gotten directions from God that good? I mean, I've gotten like one or two, like go, rhema, like word, word. He's like, when the time comes, take your staff, throw it on the ground. It's going to wiggle, pick it back up and hold it. and It's going to do this. I've never heard God say that much in one sentence and direction in my life. So if you guys have got that, let's do lunch. I want to talk to you and know where you're at because that's amazing. So he's getting all this direction from God. (laughs) And Moses responds at every single one with an excuse or a reason why he should not or cannot be the one to do it. Let's switch to reality. Think in your your logical mind. Blazing bush of fire. I don't know, blazing bush. I can't do what you're asking me to do. Like, this is a normal thing to do. I'm talking to a blazing, fiery bush, and I'm arguing with it why I can't do what it's telling me to do. At what point do you realize this is God telling you what to do? I mean, just look at it logically for a second. God is telling you, I've chosen you. You've got a plan. Here's your plan. Here's your purpose. Here's your direction. How many of you said, if I could just hear God tell me, if God would just say to me what to do, I'd do it. If you just tell me, here's proof that maybe we wouldn't. How much more extravagant, how much more crazy does it get? And he's like, I don't think I'm, I'm not really your guy. You know, like, I don't know, man. Maybe the other shepherd on the other side of the hill is the guy you were looking for, but it ain't me. So he responds with all of these why he shouldn't and I can'ts and whatever, and we know the rest of the story. Thankfully, Moses got the picture. He finally said, okay. But after he got some of his own demands, after he put in his own two cents, and you'll find out that that actually came to be a problem because he argued and fought for so long, and he said, God finally got angry with me. He's like, fine, fine. I'll send you Aaron. And you look at what happens through that. Go study this out on your own. When you start giving God your stipulations, you're responsible for more. He'll still send you. His plan will be fulfilled, but it's going to be at a cost to you because you wanted to do it your way. His ultimate end game will be fulfilled, but you'll pay the price for the part that you requested and you'll be responsible for it. So just go read the rest of that and you'll see what I'm talking about. 
hit this next slide for me. Though blessings for a season may change, the calling and blessing on your life will remain. The ultimate overarching call on your life and the blessing that God has on your life, not the season, the seasons will change, but that one will remain through every season, through every call to move, to transition, to change in life, to change your station, to change your position, to move your location. As you go from newborns in the house and you go to seasons of empty nesting, Seasons change and blessings for the seasons come and then they go. But your blessing remains and will remain. These last couple years have been a major change for some of us. It's been pretty nuts. I've seen a lot of people move from stations that they had been in and served faithfully for years because people left. People jumped ship, they abandoned. People had to shift and move into positions they never served in before. They had to fill roles they were never meant to fill. But a lot of people are left asking, what now? What's next? Especially in the world we're living in today. Maybe you're in a new season and you're not sure what moving forward looks like just yet. Just as God appeared to Moses while he was doing his business as usual. That's the thing, is he was out there doing something. He was doing his every day to the best of his ability. But notice this. Just as God appears to Moses while he's doing his business, God will do the same for you. And it requires staying diligent and walking close to where he is. Notice the proximity to Moses in the bush. The closer you are to where God is, the faster, the easier, and more clearly you will hear the directions, corrections, and impartation that God has for you in this season. There is a reward promised to those who will not give up. There is a reward promised to those who will stick to it, who have come too far to fade out and fall back. We have to stick to it, church. We have to stick with this. You can ask my family how I feel about quitting. We are not quitters. I wear a, a bracelet on my wrist. I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. We have to fight with everything in us till the very last breath we draw to finish this race. The find, follow, finish call that God laid on my heart for this youth group that's going to continue to grow and develop into a campaign, a lifestyle, an attitude, a mentality. We need to find the people that are lost. We need to make connections with them. We need to bring them here where they can sit under solid teaching and grow and mature. We've got this gift of this calling within each of us that's going to take you into your particular realm in life. You're going to be in your own lane, but everybody to your left and to your right all around you Every encounter an opportunity. Every encounter you have is an opportunity. Why are you seeing this person today? Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's everything. Maybe that's the life-changing moment for you to just say, hey, I know this might seem crazy, but would you come to church with me? Let God do what God can do. You have a part to play, and he will do it through you. Don't be a Moses. Don't argue. Don't make a fuss. Don't kick against it. I mean, you would think by now that the church would have like had enough examples to realize like God's telling you to let go of some comforts. He's telling you to let go of some things in your life. And we're like, but, 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 but. We see how it gets better every time somebody lays down with their, with their ass to lay down. It only gets better. You go through a season of feeling like everything has ended. The thing you loved and, and cared for so much is now it's gone. It's gone. The season's gone. The seasons change. 
but what's next? Oh yeah, there's something else coming. What about that? What about what's coming? What about what's coming, church? What about who's coming, church? What are we excited about? What are we expecting? What thing is holding you back? What concern is holding you back? Why are we not running with everything we got? We're standing back and we're almost kind of like stunned at how crazy everything's getting. Why are we not running back full force right back at it? Come on. It burns within every fiber of my being to do something about it. We know far too much. We've seen too many examples. Why are we making excuses? Everybody has their own and I've got my own too. I've made them all, and I've repented for as many as I know are on my books. <laughs> I'm trying to run clean and lean right now. We had prayer, um, staff prayer. How many are thankful for a church that prays? For a, a, a pastoral staff that makes it a priority to set a scheduled time in the work day to come and pray over y'all? That's not to toot his horn, but I want you to know how much this guy loves you. I have watched him, Pastor Brown, I'm going to tell off on you a little bit. He's, it's no secret that he's, he's, he sheds a tear from time to time but he has shed tears of love and compassion and care over you guys when you're not here because he loves you. He loves this body of people. He loves what he's called to and he knows how serious it is and it's no small thing to him and it's no small thing to me and the rest of us on staff. We were sitting in prayer the other day and Pastor Brian was out and we were just praying in the spirit, just being led, prayed over a few needs and then God gave a word that there's not gonna be time to take care of those things that you've been planning out for. And, and in my mind, what I was thinking of at the time, I actually sat down here and I looked up at the lights. And I was looking at the lights and I was like, man, I wonder what it would cost to get newer lights. Because I'm always wanting to refresh and revamp and bring new life to things. Because I want the house of God to represent God the way it should. And not that what we have is bad, it's actually extraordinary. We have a beautiful church. What an amazing place to share God's word from but I want it to look as good as God. I want it to represent him as good as it should. So I'm like, what can I do? What can I paint? What can I fix? What can I update? God said, there's not time for that. Don't worry about the cosmetic things. There's not going to be enough time for that stuff. Live in what you have and use it, but don't worry about how pretty it looks, how perfect it is. It's okay to do things well. I'm not saying let everything, you know, go to pot, but... We get so concerned with things that are just so not important, the temporal things. I would rather have my money free and have my things free to give than to be all bound up in payments and things. And I'm not, I'm not getting into people's pocketbooks and stuff. That's not where I'm going, guys. It's a mindset. It's a headset that I want God at any moment to have anything of mine for any purpose he calls it out for. If he, if he tells me it's time to take care of the church and paint, then I'm going to paint. He's going to provide a way. It's his house. He'll bring the money in. We'll get it done, and it's going to look great, and it's going to be for God, and people are going to go, wow, that's amazing, and it'll be for God. God will get glory out of it. It won't be because we need a fancy, nice place to feel good about, to have our church in. We can have church right on the highway right now on the side of a dirty gravel road. We can have church anywhere we want to have church, but at that point, God was telling me that we need to focus on what's important. It is people, 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 people. It's about people the one that is irritating you the most in your world right now, there is somebody in this room that has been just internally ready to just have it out with somebody. I don't know who it is. You need to start praying for them. You need to start praying for them hard. 
And you need to start listening to what God wants you to tell him. And you're going to hear words come out of your mouth you never thought you would say to that person. I've been down that road, and it's a nice slice of humble pie. (laughs) But it's worth it because lives changed, and other people saw the compassion, and they saw the care when it didn't make sense, when that person deserved to be told everything that they were and weren't. When you turn the other cheek, when you choose to represent God the way you're supposed to, it does things in you. It does things in them. I walk into this church and I see empty seats. It's like looking at a body missing parts. People are missing the show. There are so many people out there that are dangling on the edge. Time is short. It's like the old Nintendo games, like Super Mario, where the screen moves with the player, and it's like pushing you along, and you're like, I don't want to jump, I don't want to jump, and then it pushes you off the edge. That's like time right now. There are people that are smart enough to say, God's like, come on, jump, jump, leap in faith, and you make it to the next step, and then there's the rest of them that are getting pushed off the edge. They're just in for the ride. They're getting pushed along by life until they get pushed over. We need to help people out. We need to help people up. It's time for us to get excited again. Hebrews 10, 35 through 36 in the NLT says this. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord, no matter what happens. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has. Big things are happening, guys. Who can sense it in their spirit? I've heard people that I do trust their opinion. They aren't Facebook keyboard warriors. These are people that I know know God. They have spoken things into my life that have come to pass. And it doesn't take, you know, a years deep Christian to know that something in the spirit big time is happening. We are in the end game. You are in it. What do we need to do to engage and just get crazy radical on fire for God? Every desire that has burned in your heart, every idea that God placed in there that you know is from God, you know it's from him and you haven't seen it come to pass, drag that thing back up. Drag it back out. Bring it before God and say, what about this, God? I have a vision in my mind that God showed me when I was 15 years old. I haven't seen it come to pass. And I'm asking him, what about it, God? When? Is it soon? When? Is it soon? You're drawing breath. You've got a part to play. I think we need to take a little bit of time tonight. I preached that a little faster than I meant, but I think it's meant to be this way. Miss Linda, would you mind playing some keys for us? I think we need to take a minute and take some personal inventory and get serious with it. You can have the mindset of, great, we're going to stand here and we're going to listen to some keys and I'm going to kind of pray a few things. Go past that. I don't know about you guys, but when I get in my prayer closet and I start praying things out, the first 15 minutes are usually me trying to remind myself that I'm praying. <laughs> Anybody with me? Can we, t- can we tell the truth? You're like running laps in your head. Then you remember like the to-do list from like three months ago. And like everything in the world comes out of the woodwork to remind you of this, that, and the other and everything but God. You're not here on accident tonight. This time is carved out by the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what that means, I want to talk to you guys at the end of the service tonight. I'm going to get you guys lined out on some things. God's got some stuff for you tonight. So I want you guys to talk to me before you take off.
we got to go some places we haven't been. We got to ask some questions we've been afraid to ask, and you better be ready to hear some answers. There's some things that have to change in your world, in my world, in our world, if we're going to get serious about making a real impact. The devil quit playing kid games and soft-handed games a long time ago. He's playing hardball, hard time right now in our face. And we're standing here not doing much about it. Let's put it in gear. You're in this season, you're in this region for a purpose. I want us to pray, pray in the spirit, pray some things out, ask for direction, write notes down. We've got about 15 minutes before we hit eight. However long you want to take, you're welcome at any time to go. But I would challenge you to stay at least 15 minutes to ask God for some direction, some wisdom, and some impartation. I believe good things are coming. So let's go ahead and go there.
there's somebody in here tonight that you are dealing with a hurt, like a deep hurt, you have kind of an issue with God. Something happened or didn't happen the way that you had wanted it to or the way you thought it should. And there's something in you that is hurt and you haven't encountered God's presence the same since that happened. You maybe don't recognize that that, that was the, the issue or that was the moment, but there's something in you that when you pray, when you talk to God, it's not quite the same. If that's you, if you would just raise your hand. I just want to come and pray with you for a minute. anybody else if you uh, are feeling that as well when I
of you are starting to see in your mind. It's almost like a movie screen is playing things out. What you're seeing play out in front of you are things that are going to come to pass. You've opened up a hunger in you and a desire in you, and God is showing you similar to the way that he showed Moses. There's a confirmation in your spirit of what you're seeing. Maybe it's something you've even seen before, but now there's clarity to that vision. There's clarity to what you're seeing in your mind's eye. It's coming to pass. It's coming to pass. You know who you are. You know who that's for. next few months and moving into next year be prepared for something that you haven't seen before there's a presence and a weightiness in this room the waves of God's glory have to come in in levels God will pour out more and more as we prepare for more and more You have to get used to this presence. You have to get used to this place. And the more reverence and the more respect you show it and give to it, the higher it can go. It is absolutely okay that this service doesn't look like a normal Wednesday night because it's not supposed to. There shouldn't be normal Wednesday. There shouldn't be normal Sunday. Yes, there should be order. There should be organization. That is of God. God is a God of order and organization, yes. But the level that we as the body come hungry for, respecting and expecting, God's going to pour out more. There's going to come a time where there's not going to be anyone in the room that has anything to explain because it's going to be beyond all of us. And that's okay. We keep hearing about this new level, this new thing. God is doing a new thing. If it's new from him, then none of us have seen it. But if it's of God, it's going to be good. We're at that point. At this point, you guys are welcome to just sit in this atmosphere. You guys are free to go ahead and head out if you need to go. I want to be respectful of your time. I don't want to take advantage of our volunteers that are helping with our kids and stuff, but I think we can just kind of stay here. And if God's speaking something into you, just because the atmosphere changes doesn't mean he leaves. You stay focused. You keep pressing in. Take this with you and come back expecting more. You can have this at home. You can have this by yourself. And you can have it on deeper levels because you don't have to drive home after. (laughs) It's been a long time since I've sat in God's presence and got so wrecked that my physical body couldn't handle it. But that's the level it gets to. Why do you think the devil's counterfeits affect the body like they do? 
this broken vessel can't handle God's full glory. But if we take little doses, we can get to a place where we can experience it and operate with it to where when you're going about your daily business, you are under the influence, but in a godly way. So when you walk in, people say, what just came in this room? Do you guys feel that? Can you sense that? When the shadow of Peter passed over, what happened? People were healed. So full, so overflowing. God's presence so strong in him. Come on, modern day church. How many thousand years later? Why are we carrying less? Why are we doing less? Why is this weaker? We've got more teaching. We've got more revelation. We've got more inspiration. We've got better everything. And yet we have less of him. That changes today. That changes tonight. Moving forward, for this body of believers, for you that are in this room, you declare, you declare, it changes tonight. Say it with me. It changes tonight. It changes tonight. Not tomorrow. Tonight. If, it's, if it takes us right here to become the infected ones, to go out and infect everybody else around us, so when everybody that wasn't here shows up on Sunday, they're going to go, whoa, you guys took a step up. You guys got another level. You went somewhere else. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go, church. All right. All right. That's what I got. I don't need to get all down that line again. I love you guys. I know this is different, but God is good. Two-thirds of God is odd, right? <laughs> Let's be different. Let's be different. I love you guys. Father God, I just pray that whatever was of you tonight would stay in the hearts and minds of everybody here. What was me, God, let it wash away. Let it be forgotten but let your impact stay in their hearts. Let your words linger on in their spirits, inspiring growth, developing hunger and desire and passion for this next level that you're bringing us up to and the level beyond that and even beyond. I thank you for the change that is in the air, the one, the one that we're hungry for, that we're yearning for. Help us to do our part. Help us to do what we have to do so you can do what you have to do. God, we thank you for everything that you are and everything that you're doing. In the name of Jesus, amen. Love you guys. Have an awesome night. Y'all are dismissed. Oh, we have probably ought to do some offering. Good call. Good call. See, man, good people. Let's go ahead and do some offering. You guys know the drill with that. That's just because you love God and he gave you what's yours, give him back. Plain and simple. Ushers, if you would go ahead and serve the people. Thank you, sir.